Welcome to London Riverside Church Podcast. We hope you have a great day. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Uh, as you can see on the screen, I Love the House is taking place on the 1st of October. And uh, if you are familiar with us as a church, you'll know that our core values are that we are relational, empowering, generous, passionate, and full of faith. And on the 1st of October, three of those values will be on display. I invite Walter to the stage. Should I give him a round of applause? Before you sit down, Walter, do you have a good side? This is my good side, but I'll be showing the church. Fantastic, because yeah. I wasn't going to swap, so that you're definitely sitting okay. down. Um, so, Walter, uh, you obviously serve in the life of the church. Uh, can I ask you a couple of questions? Firstly, where do you serve, and how long have you been serving for? So, I serve in the audiovisual, and I also serve on the board. Um, so, I've been... I was reminded this morning I've actually been on the board for seven years, which, which yeah, it's been a long time, um, which means I've been on AV for about 10 years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So. Wow. And even, 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 even now, you still see glitches. <laughs> yeah. So if anything goes wrong on the screen, it's really you to blame. Yeah, just blame me. I'm yeah. the guy. And if everything goes right, it's you. It's me. It's always me when it goes right. There yeah. we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so um, I was you this question uh, what is it about LRC that you love so much I, th I think I was thinking about this during the week so I've been at the church now as I said for 12 years and I think the, the thing that I like most about this church is, the, is our building so seeing the you know the evolution of the building over the years we use it obviously for worship on a Sunday and then we also use it for service so serving our community during the week and, you know, we've invested in that time a lot of money in the church. Um, people obviously invested before us as well. And I think for me, it's about, you know, how can we invest so that, you know, in the, the distant, distant future when we're all gone, yeah, um, yeah not, not, not anytime soon, what are we going to leave behind for our children in the community to keep serving them in the future? So I think for me, it's the building. I, we have a great, great building and it works Monday to Saturday, and then a, a little bit on Sunday, but it, you know, during the week, the church is working. I absolutely love that. And, and I know I could have asked anyone here that, that particular question, and you all have an idea of what it is about LRC that you love. But let me just encourage you, when it comes to the 1st of October, have that answer in your head when it comes to giving, so that other people in our community get to experience the same thing that you experience as well. So love the borough, sorry, not the borough. I Love the House is taking place 1st of October uh, this year. Love the Borough will take place next year. Don't worry about that one. Um, but Gowan is going to come and preach in a second. Let's give Walter a round of applause. Brilliant. Thank you, Walter. Very good. Thanks, Reg. Yes, we love the house and we love the borough. We love both. So good. Looking forward to that on the 1st of October. And also, of course, we've just come out of a great prayer week, which was mentioned earlier. And I appreciate, you know, we couldn't always, all, not all of us could make it to all of the meetings in person. But really, so good, so encouraging, so inspiring uh, to be spending that time in prayer. You do realize we pray all year round, but that week, <laughs> just, it's, there's something about committing yourself to something and saying, okay, intentionally now my ears are open. Intentionally now. We seek God for what only he can do. And so we're very excited about what God's up to, what he's been doing. But also, let's keep praying, friends. 
Okay, I want to encourage you. You've got, and even if it's individual needs, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's keep pushing through. Let's believe God. Uh, and let us know if there's prayer requests. Let us know if there's uh, praise reports. Let your connect group leaders know. Let your groups know. Pray together. We don't just pray Sundays, friends. We're praying through the week, yeah. believing for great, great things. So, anyway, the sermon's about something else today. So what I want to talk about is this. This next three weeks, I'm going to be talking about Money Matters. Money matters. Okay. I didn't clue him up to, to clap, but some of you are not sure. Should I clap? Should I not clap? I'm not sure about that. I'm going to talk about money matters. We're going to talk about money matters because money matters, right? Yeah. It does. Uh, money matters to all of us. Mo- money is something which influences all of our lives, our finances, our wealth, our lack of wealth. It, it touches all of us. And so it would be wrong for me as your lead pastor never to speak about this issue and hear what the scripture tells us regarding these things. And, you know, some people have said, you know, some, some preachers have said, well, you know, Jesus, in all his parables, you know, he's always teaching about uh, 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 monies. Money mentions money and wealth all the time. And it's true, there's lots of mentions of wealth. But actually, in the parables that Jesus shared, he was teaching about the kingdom of God. Okay, so don't ever get someone say, oh, Jesus talked about money more than heaven or anything like that. No, Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God, but he referenced money and wealth because it's close to our hearts. He got our attention, didn't he? Because even when I said we're going to talk about money matters, some of us were like, when's this finish? And others were like, well, what's he going to say? You know, because God, Jesus, Jesus references finance because it is something that influences all of our lives. So even teaching about the kingdom, he got us to think about our finances. Now, Jesus puts, he doesn't mince his words in the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. What Jesus is basically saying is this. If you insist on supporting two teams, they will eventually have to play against each other. I can hear it sinking. If you insist on supporting two teams, they will eventually have to play against each other. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You've got to lean into one or the other. And then he comes with the the end of the sentence is this. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, money is a fantastic slave but a terrible master. And, 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 And Jesus speaks directly to this issue in our lives. You see, when financial challenges come... Whoever your master is, is the one that you receive perspective from. If you have a financial challenge and and money is your master, you're going to get that perspective on what to do. If God is your master, you're going to get his perspective on what to do. You're going to put your confidence in who your master is. You say, I have no master. Oh, yes, you do. We're programmed to follow. It's a human condition, friends. Jesus doesn't debate whether we follow or not. He's asking us who we're following. Mm, That's a little bit chewy, that one, isn't it? I don't know. Nobody tells me what to do. Ah, even if they're not telling you, you're still following. So we have masters, and our decision is who will be. God, and Jesus said, you can't follow both. So how we deal with our money says a lot about our lives and our faith. In the New Testament, the first Christians, the first letters, the words to the first followers of Christ, 
They, they didn't shy away from this subject, but rather spoke openly about it because it affects all of us. And I think it's fair as your lead pastor, I do speak to this uh, subject from time to time. And listen, friends, let me just say all the things that, you know, you probably, well, you can't say that. I just did, right, ready, okay? We're not talking about money because the church is in trouble, right? We're not talking about money because I need a holiday. We're not talking about money because all the stuff that you see in the press and the media, whatever the pastor has to say because there's a money issue. Friends, we're talking the whole counsel of God because that's God's will for our lives. We want to get into what God says about something which is influencing all of us. There's not a day or even a week in our lives where our finances do not affect us or it comes into our thoughts about what we're going to do about them. Is that right? Okay. So, money matters. So, first of all, let's blow up a few money myths, okay? First one is this. Money is evil. Money is evil. If you can only serve God or money, then surely money must be bad. Of course, this is misunderstanding 1, 1 Timothy chapter 6. For the love of money, verse 10. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So with the scriptures clear here, money in itself is not evil. This, uh, this 10 pound note, I know a lot of these don't use this currency anymore. We just tap and tap everything, right? But they, they still exist. It's even got the queen's head on it. I, I guess that's changing sometime. Doesn't look like uh, Charles, no. So, uh, so here we have a ten-pound note. Now, the fact is this: this ten-pound note can be used for many things. Yeah. You can buy drugs with this ten-pound note. You can buy a skinny grande latte with salted caramel syrup. That sounds awful, but you can do it. You probably get a little bit of change for that. Uh, you can do all kinds of things. With you can you can use. The, this £10 note could bless someone's life or steer them into trouble. So money in itself is neutral, but it takes on the character of whoever's holding it. It takes on the character of who owns that, that, that wealth, that finance, that cash. Whoever's holding on to this £10 note, that's the character of what that money can do. So money in itself is not evil. It actually takes on the character of the owner. Now, the second myth we need to bust is that money and faith should be kept separate. Now, you've heard this. You may have even said it yourself. You can't be mixing faith and money. That's, all, that's a recipe for disaster and, and controversy. Listen, let me just spell this out a little bit. We sing and we pray and we declare that we choose to follow Jesus with our whole lives. Okay, I'm speaking to those of you in the room. You've decided to follow Jesus. And we're in the process of learning what it means to give him our lives, to live our lives for him. Is that right? And we all know that happens beyond Sunday. Okay, when you say you give your life to Jesus, it's not like three hours on Sunday or one hour on Sunday. It's like we know we're choosing to follow him with our lives. So what happens on Monday for many of us is we head out to work. What happens at work? This is a rhetorical question. I'm going to give you the answer, okay? What happens at work is you trade time and skill and you trade it for money. Is that right? If they're not paying you, you need to have a word, okay? Because you've, you've turned up, you've put your hours in, and different levels of skill and competence. And so some of us, we, we spent an hour earning that. Some of us spent five minutes earning that. But either way, we did a swap, right? We gave something of our lives, and in return, we got some cash. And so my question is really this. Money surely 
has something to do with God, or God has to do with our money. Because if we've given our lives, and an, an evidence of, a given, of what we're spending our lives on is what we have in our hand. And so we involve God in these things. We can't say that our money has nothing to do with God when we've told him we're following with our lives and we've just traded some of our lives for some of this cash. So Deuteronomy 8 verse 17 says these words. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. Let's be mindful, friends, that all our skill and the hours and the days that we have breathing, that it is God who gives us the power to create wealth. It is God that gives us the ability to dream up that new business plan. It is God that gives us the ability to clean that workplace, whatever our job might be. And so, so when we talk of keeping money and faith separate, we are confusing the power and the, and the influence that our finance has. The, the uh, car manufacturer of Henry Ford put it like this. Money doesn't change men. It merely unmasks them. Okay, so if you, were, if, you, if you were selfish and arrogant and greedy, more money just unmasks who you are. If you are humble and generous, more money simply unmasks who you are. So, of course, our faith and our finance have a lot to do with each other. Another money myth is this that wealth or poverty are signs of God's favor or lack of. I might be touching a little bit of Christian superstition here, but I'm going to go there because we need to deal with this myth. Okay? So we somehow sometimes believe, because we know that God prospers and God can uh, provide, that we sometimes think that if someone is wealthy, they must have the favor of God. And if someone is in poverty or poor or struggling, they must have not been in the favor of God. They must have somehow not had enough faith. They must have somehow missed what God's up to. You get the, you get the opposite as well. There are people that believe to be spiritual is to be poor. Because if you're poor and you don't have much, then surely you, you must know God all the much better. And somehow we've built these kind of almost superstitious understanding of how, what, how to approach our wealth, how to approach our finances. Now let me just jump into Philippians chapter 4 where Paul is writing to the church and he says in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. Paul is basically saying, I'm so pleased that you sent the gift that you said you'd send but you hadn't sent yet. That's an awkward letter to write, yeah? But somehow he gets it right, yeah? He says, look, you said you were going to provide, you said you were going to give towards this ministry. It didn't come but now it finally has. And then he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So are we actually, would we question Paul's relationship with God because he's known what to be in need, and he's known what it is to have plenty? Was he unspiritual when he had plenty? Or was he more spiritual when he had plenty? Or what about when he was in need? Had he not listened to Jesus? Had he got it wrong? Was he out of God's favor because the business wasn't going quite, that old tent making wasn't quite going quite as well as he'd planned for it to go? 
It says in verse 12, I've learned the secret in being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So we see here, friends, that wealth and poverty are not signs of God's favor or lack of, but rather the secret to our finances is that our, our strength comes from Christ. Whatever our circumstance God would have us trust him. The Apostle Paul says, I've had plenty and I've been in need. But I've learned the secret is to trust. That I get the strength from Jesus. That that verse that we say, that in Christ I can do all things, actually refers to Paul's finances. I can do whatever the circumstance. In Christ I can do it. And so what we're going to do is we look at money matters. We're going to look at the foundation of of faith. Next week we'll be talking more about getting financially fit and other things to do with our finances. But today I want us to look at the foundation of faith that each of us need as Christ followers. In the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 17, some of you be familiar with the story of Elijah. There's a drought in the land and God says to Elijah, if you go to this brook, there's still some water there, I'll send the ravens, you'll have my provision. The story goes on that the brook dries up. That happens sometimes. Like God organized something and then it stopped. So, Jesus, you forgot about me. No, we're going to do something else. Okay? So, Elijah gets the word from the Lord again, and the word of the Lord comes to him, and he says, If you go to Sarapath in the region of Sidon, I have instructed a widow there to supply you with food. Fantastic. God's provision. So, Elijah goes to the town. At this town gate, he sees the widow there gathering sticks. And he says to her, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And it says in the scripture that as she was going to get it in verse 11, he called after her and he said to her, and please bring me a piece of bread. Now, here's her reply. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. This is not working out well. You've got instruction from God to go to this widow, exactly the right place. You ask her for what you need, and she says, I don't have any. Okay? I don't have any bread. I've got a handful of flour in a jar. I've got a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This was the wrong person to ask for a special offering. This, this situation was not... As Elijah might have thought it would have been, he would maybe think, maybe there's a wealthy widow that's going to help me, not a lady that's about to cook her last meal and die. Okay? I love the brutality, I love the honestness of the scripture. You know, she's thinking, well, I can get you a drink of water, but you want to finish me off? <laughs> I'm done. I've got nothing. I can't get, have you ever felt like that? It's like, Lord, kind of, you know, yeah. Yes, but don't touch that. Because that's all I've got left. And Elijah says to him, verse 13, Don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. And this is what the Lord of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. The foundation of faith is when we acknowledge God as your provider. 
acknowledge God as our provider. We can talk about how to make money, how not to make money, how to organize our finances, but primarily a foundation of faith is that God is my provider. It says here, she went away and did as Elijah told her. There was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. The flour wasn't used up. The jug of oil did not run dry. God provided. You see, our faith requires an agreement with what God has said, and then we action it and see what God will do. I've said this many times, but your boss is your employer, but God is your provider. Never get them mixed up, friends. You may have a wonderful boss. You may have a not quite so wonderful boss that you're praying for. But they are your employer, but they're not your provider. And you're saying, yeah, but you don't understand. If they would give me the wage that I deserve, that would be a whole lot better. But you need to be talking not just to your boss, but to your provider. Are you with me? I'm trying to get some faith in here, right? I'm not just going to try and say, hey, you know, sometimes when people come to the scripture, it's like, are you paying 10%? Okay, God will bless you. We're not talking about 10% today, friends. We're talking about trusting God. Okay, you can tick boxes. That's not what Jesus is looking for. He wants us to trust him as our provider. Our provider. Faith is trusting in the character of God. I've got lots of stories on this, friends. When we were doing missions work, I remember in 2008, there was a financial crash that some of us might remember. House prizes, people losing houses, all kinds of stuff going on. So not only was our mission support reduced, but the exchange rate was went crazy. Like we literally lost a third on our exchange rate into euros. So I can remember within a week going to, we had this monthly check that was switched into euros. I remember coming home and saying, Sarah, I think we've lost about a third of our money in seven days. You know? And you've got kids and and, and rents and everything else. We've been in situations like that, right? It's like, come on, Lord. And he's like, what, 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 have I done something wrong? Was it, what's, what, what went wrong here? But then you realize, hold on a minute, God is my provider. God is my provider. Now, for sure, I wrote some emails. For sure, there were some phone calls. For sure, there was some praying. But fundamentally, in our hearts, we have to know God has got this. God can work this. God can provide. Psalm 37, verse 25. I was young, and now I'm old. That's an interesting confession. Yet, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Listen, nearly 40 years ago, I learned this psalm. And I used to read, well, I was young, now I'm old. I feel that doesn't apply to me that bit. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And you know what? I prayed and I agreed with God, the righteous will not be forsaken. If I'm choosing to follow Jesus, and let me tell you, when you start doing what I do, uh, you don't have the right amount of money for what you need. But you trust God because you're so excited about what God's called you to be and do. And you know, and I've, I've always believed this verse to be true, that he will not forsake. And the children will be clothed and, and grow up healthy. I've raised three of them with God's help. They won't be begging for bread. In fact, you'll be able to be generous and they will be a blessing. Friends, acknowledge that God is your provider. Secondly, let's consider in Proverbs 11, verse 24, says these words. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. What I'm saying here is that we need to live with open hands. Living with open hands. You know, that, that, that money that's in our hands, if I can put it visually for us today. The money that we have, open hands. It says here, one person gives freely 
and gains even more. That means if I'm able to have my hand open to give, then more can also come into my hand. But I live with closed hands. It says, he who withholds unduly comes to poverty. Because not only have I kept what I have, but I can't receive any more. And I just want us to encourage us with that. It's a foundation of faith in our lives to live with open hands. And this is a challenge to our normal understanding, isn't it? Because when we have something, our natural instinct is to hold on to it. But how are you measuring your life? Is it by what you have gained or what you've been able to give? What is financial success? What you've accumulated or what you've been able to finance? What you've been able to give? What you've been enabled to happen? What would be your definition of financial success? Let me tell you, friends, it's not the car on your driveway. Especially if you're leasing it. But anyway. <laughs> oh, we could go there, couldn't we? Yeah? Huh? Plenty of people driving nice cars that haven't paid the mortgage for three months. So, yeah, well, I got you going. Right, okay, let's get back to the Bible. But, you know, what, what's, what's financial success? To live with an open hand. To live with an open hand. What have I gained or what have I been able to accomplish? What's been able to, what have I been able to resource? Have I filled my bowl or have I had the opportunity to empty it? Because if I have the opportunity to empty it, it'll get filled again. Oh, I like this stuff. It's good, isn't it? The Bible's good, friends. So in the New Testament, this practice of giving and receiving needs open hands. It needs an open hands policy. I tell you so, I want to have an open hands policy in my life. I don't want to keep grabbing and just keeping hold of what I managed to get, but just keep an open hand. It doesn't mean God clears out everything every day. <laughs> you do get to eat. But what it means is that our, our, our understanding is he's my provider and now I'm part of what he's up to. In my family, here and abroad, wherever it might be, I'm part of what God is up to. Because giving is an act of faith, friends. Giving is an act of faith. It's honoring that God is ultimately our provider. Here's a, I've shared this illustration before. Bear with me. It's the best way I know to explain the struggle that goes on in our hearts. See, like I mentioned, I've raised three kids, and if you've got kids when they're younger, the favorite place on earth is McDonald's, Amen. right? I mean, just that sugar intake in half an hour, they are loving it, okay? That's what you say, don't they? I'm loving it. Yeah, okay. So, so my daughter, she could, she, she could spot McDonald's before anyone else. You see the golden arches in the sky, McDonald's, daddy, McDonald's. So, so occasionally, we'd go to McDonald's, and uh, we'd buy those Happy Meals, they make the kids happy, yeah? Not always the parents, but the kids are happy. <laughs> Fighting over the toys, and no, 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 it's all good, it's all good. So we buy the Happy Meals, we're sitting down, we're enjoying that sugar intake, and everyone's happy. And then as dad, right, or as a parent, if you're in the room, you get, you get this, you kind of just look over at one of those little Happy Meals, and you see one of those fries, and you just take one, eh? Sometimes you take two. And just as you're taking that fry, one of your kids says, hey, that's mine. That's my fries. And you're thinking, hold on a minute. Who bought the car that got you here? Who paid up the Happy Meals? Who got the extra milkshake? And I'm reaching for a fry here, and they're mine. 
You see what I'm saying? I know when God says, I think I'll take those two fries, he says, we can have one. I mean, really? He provided the whole lot. But you you can have one fry, God. That's enough. They're mine. Really? So that's my way of understanding what... I'm in the same tension, friends. It's like, come on, I, I, I've got my table ready. The plate's full. No, oh, you sure you want to? Whose fries are they? Anyway. Friends, I want to encourage you to just be honest with Jesus about whose fries they are and what, how he would have you live with, them, with an open hand. I mean, we're talking about it next week. You need to be a good steward of what you've got. Don't get me wrong. Don't just lay it out there and let anyone take what they like. We're saying here about towards God, we have an open hand. Not a closed hand. Paul says in Philippians 4, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of the glory in Christ Jesus. You know those wonderful verses that actually Paul's talking about money, but he says God's going to supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ. Christ Jesus. So let's just jump back into Matthew chapter 6 where we started. We talked about the fact that you can't serve two masters. And Jesus says, you know, you cannot serve God and money. And then in verse 25, he says these words, therefore, therefore, you know, now we've got that settled, that we want to put him first. That money's not evil, but the love of money is going to get you into all kinds of trouble. That God is our master and not our finances. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now, when you have got 10 pounds to see you through the week, that scripture kind of punches you in the stomach. Because you're saying, amen, but, right? Has anybody read the Bible and said, amen, but? I might as well be honest for you. Now, some of us are working out how to spend 10000 before the end of the week. Fantastic. It's a matter of zeros, friends. But the faith in God is the same. That's what Jesus is asking us. Who's boss? God or our finances? Therefore, do not worry. Verse 32, for the unbelievers run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. There's an invitation here to exchange our concerns and our worries about our well-being and trust the Father who already knows. Trust our Father who already knows that you need that job. Trust our Father that he, he already knows that the promotion is necessary. Trust the Father that He already knows that although the housing market looks crazy, there is a place for you. Trust the Father that He already knows. Listen, friend, I didn't say this first service, but you know, last year, after 30, well, we've been married 30 years this year, so after 20 years of marriage, we finally bought a house last year, last September. And I can tell you on a annual basis, if not more often, I thought to myself, this isn't going to work. You know, when you've done 29 years, it's like, I'm not so sure this is going to come through. But, you, but, but there's a sense in which, no, we put God first, not our money. We honor him. We learn how to deal with our finances properly. We'll talk about that next week. And so actually, we serve God and not our wealth. We serve God. Will he not take care of what needs to be done? And I know he makes it exciting. I know he sent Elijah to a widow who was on our last meal. I know he made me wait 29 years. But whatever it might be, friends, whatever it might be, 
He is our provider. He calls us to live with open hands. And then he says these words, Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first. The foundation of faith is to seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. I trust you hear my heart today. I trust what the scripture is saying regarding our finances. It really is a matter of faith, of trusting God. We can talk about the technicalities. We can talk about the wise decisions that need to be made. But fundamentally, the foundation of faith is the invitation today. I'm going to pray and I invite you. I'm not going to ask anybody to respond in any way uh, openly to this. But if it helps to close your eyes, if it helps to just focus for a moment as we pray. To put God's kingdom first in your life. What does that look like? That's a great verse. It makes a great song. But what does that look like for you? Seek first his kingdom. And all these things will be given you as well. Here's a few questions. Am I preoccupied with my possessions or my lack of them? Am I envious of others' wealth or possessions? Do I find my personal value in my possessions? Do I live as though money will make me happy? We all know money doesn't make us happy, but we live as though it does. Do I continuously want more? The words of Jesus to us today are, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. The unbelievers run after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you in such, a situ- such an issue in our lives that you are not silent. And Father, today we want to be sure that we are living out of that foundation of faith in our lives. We trust you as our provider. We dare to live with open hands. And we ask you today that by your grace, your Holy Spirit will guide us what it means to seek first your kingdom. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we're believing today that you'll come through for those in this meeting that things have got really close. Lord Jesus, we're believing today you're going to come through. You'll be, you'll show yourself to be their provider, we pray. Father, for those in this room at the moment, there are looming financial decisions. We busy ourselves with the technicalities of what would be best. But before we go there, we want to fundamentally say we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. We want to go your way. We want to serve you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you will guide us. And you'll get all the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. 
that's all from us here on our LRC podcast. If there's anything else you would like some more clarification on, or you would like to take the next steps in your journey, then why not head over to our next steps page at londonriversidechurch.com forward slash next steps. That's all from us here today, and we hope you have an amazing week.